Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your host, faithful, trusty, loyal, tireless, relentless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a great show for you today. We are talking to the one and only Amanda Macignan from Canada. Love my Canadian brothers and sisters, but... Amanda is maybe the most charming interview that I've done to date, you know, over 250 episodes. I mean, you know, I was completely charmed by Amanda. She's amazing. So I can't wait to hear, I can't wait for you to hear from her and hear our chat because it was fantastic. Before we get into this interview, I want to, of course, thank you for showing up. Your loyalty means the world to us. I want to encourage you to, of course, as always, go to notrealart.com and check out all the good, healthy stuff we got for you for free. You can check out the remote video series by the one and only Badir McCleary exploring public art around the world, exclusively available at notrealart.com. Of course, check out our First Fridays art exhibition dropping the first Fridays of every month. We've got 12 incredible online exhibitions happening in this year. We had 12 last year. We're going to do 12 more this year. So please go check out First Fridays. So what else? Well, I tell you what else. We've got an incredible conversation today with Amanda Macignan. She is a boundary-pushing queer mixed-media artist rapidly building a name for herself as a rising star across mediums and genres. Known for her distinctive interplay between traditional and unconventional mediums, including stained glass, stained glass sculptures, you know, kiln painting, acrylic, oil painting, portraiture, murals, as well as frequently combining all the above for more complex expressions. You know, Amanda juxtaposes novelty and classics while creating from a place of healing and honesty. Undefined by any one medium, Amanda challenges perceptions of stained glass by infusing contemporary narratives and her energetic authenticity to her work. Her goal is to explore visual expressions that deviate from conventional expectations. Macignon continues to employ elements of darkness, exaggeration, and sarcasm to imbue profound messages, challenge cultural bias, and spark conversation. And, you know, I could go on and on. Her CV is so great. You know, her most recent work is a vibrant collection that metaphorically and visually breaks apart and then rebuilds the artist's identity through intentional destruction, intuitive creation, natural wisdom, and traditional magic. Macignon's artistic journey has been one of resilience and reinvention, inspiring flexibility and variety in her work. Following a five-year hiatus from showing art publicly, Macignon exhibited her work for the first time in March 2023. With that success at her heels, she dives headfirst into a large-scale exhibition and her first U.S. 
debut celebrating cult classic filmmaker John Waters. Wow, we love John Waters. This latest collection of stained glass portrait work demonstrates an oft-forgotten old-world painting technique combined with Amanda's specific style of glass design. In a world of conventionalities, Amanda stands as a beacon of defiant originality and creative audacity. Through her work, she encourages viewers to question their core beliefs about art and its potential. Each piece is an incantation, an empowerment spell that has allowed the artist to find herself again. Wow, amazing. And I just, like I said, so loved talking to Amanda. She's amazing. The project she did for John Waters, Pope of Trash Church, it was just incredible. Please check it out. We'll have the links in the show notes. And of course, as always, support Amanda, follow her on social and consider buying her work because it is fantastic. I'm trying to get a piece from her myself. And she's just, like I said, a sweetheart, just totally charmed me to death. Really loved speaking with Amanda. So I'm just so grateful to have her on the show, and I'm so grateful that she came on the show and shared her story with us. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation and hear from the one and only Amanda Macanyon. Amanda, welcome to Not Real Art. Thank you for having me. So you notice what I did there, right? What? I just focused on the name that I could pronounce, Amanda. Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm so insecure yeah. <laughs> about my public school American education that I don't speak Italian very well and I wasn't going to get the accent right. So I want, for our listeners, I want you to tell them how to say your last name properly because it is such a beautiful Italian name. Thank you. It is pronounced Macanian. <laughs> Macanian. Yes. Oh, yes. you did it. You did it. <laughs> See, I, I could never I could never do that. Amanda, I'm so grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule to come on the show and talk about your amazing practice and work. I just I mean, what you're doing with stained glass is so I mean, so cool. I mean, I guess the kids these days would say dope. It is so fresh and interesting and a juxtaposition, right, of these kind of class, this classic, uh, ancient even practice of stained glass, right? And you're bringing such a cool, contemporary, provocative story to it. And I'm just loving what I'm seeing. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I have been working with glass for a while now. And like, something about the medium has always spoken to me in that kind of way where it should be modernized and made new again but <laughs> like I guess it's difficult to sort of have people like paying attention when it's such an old school art form mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know I mean given your Italian roots like you know one might speculate as to why you know stained glass why you were so uh, inspired by it but how did you get to it? I mean, how did you, I mean, obviously, as a, I'm guessing you started drawing and making art as a young person, and then eventually found stained art. But, you know, how was that journey? How did you end up focusing on the stained glass medium? I went to school for psychology. I have a psychology degree. <laughs> so I was working like random jobs after school. And it was actually my stepdad. He was selling lead products. Um, it was like an old family business. He's British. And his like lead is huge, like leaded windows are huge in the UK as well, right? So he was selling like lead products to my boss and she was looking for somebody who was creative but had no experience. 
So I basically started an apprenticeship in 2011, and that's how I got into stained glass. I worked with my mentor for until 2014, I believe, 2015. And then I started doing stained glass stuff on my own. So it was like when I worked with my mentor, it was more like architectural stuff. So like clear on clear, like really beautiful leaded windows that for like homes and stuff, but not a lot of color and not a lot of like no portraiture or anything like that. But yeah, that kind of all happened a little bit later on <laughs> with the portraiture. Well, that's fascinating. So you actually at least went to university to study psychology. So, I mean, at some point, were you seriously considering a career as a therapist or a psychiatrist at that point? Were you making art prior to that? I mean, talk about, I mean, obviously artists, you know, on a certain level are, what's the word I want? You know, I mean, we're, we're spiritual leaders, you know, some might argue psychiatrists and psychologists help us understand ourselves. Art helps us understand ourselves. I can see the connection there on a certain level, but talk about that a little bit in terms of why psychology and how the art came, you know, before, during, or after. So I've always, like, I grew up in an incredibly creative family. My mom went to school for fine art. Always stressed, like, working with your hands and tools and, like, DIY. It's always been, like, really a part of my life and my family, which is, I think, why, like, I like working with so many different mediums and why different textures are important as well. So like textiles as well as like glass and paint and like if I, the more mediums I can get my hands on, the happier I am. And I think it's because of the way that I grew up with like my grandfather was a tailor and my grandparents like knitted and crocheted and it's just, yeah, just creating things has always been like really important part of my family in general. But there wasn't an option I, with like, I think immigrant parents, like you need to go to school, like you have to go to school. Art is not an option for your future. <laughs> so it wasn't like a path that like was even something that was like in my head at all because it wasn't feasible, even though my mom went to art school, which doesn't make any sense, right? Um, <laughs> Why can she yeah. go and you can't? That's not fair. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so I... Went to school for, I got the, the degree and all of that. And then I started focusing on artwork. And then actually in 2019, I went back to school to become an art therapist. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because the artwork, I think, like, because I was creating artwork all throughout that time. It was just personal, like, never for any reason, just because it was something that I needed to do, I was driven to do. And then in 2019, I realized that like making artwork probably saved my life. I don't even know how many times, <laughs> like helped me figure out who I am and where I was going, and what I was doing. And it like continues to do so. I would love to be able to be an art therapist and like or a psychotherapist and like help people in that kind of way. But I realized when I was like 90% of the way through that it makes me too anxious. I feel like it is such an incredible, amazing thing that people are able to do to be able to like contain everybody else's stuff and hold on to it for them and like help them through really difficult things. I feel like it's too much for me to hold on to. And that was like a yeah. big realization that I came to. Mm. Wow, that's super. I mean, I get that. I get that. Right. Because as an artist, right, like on a certain level, 
I mean, artists are just naturally empathetic. I mean, you're empaths on a certain level, right? So, so you know, taking that in, taking other people's problems or, you know, challenges, whatever, you know, you have to have that ability to sort of compartmentalize and divide. And, and I think sometimes it's hard for artists to, because we feel, right, and we're in it. And so, you know, maybe it would be hard to compartmentalize if as an artist, as an empath, I guess I get that on a certain level. It, it must be really tough for therapists sometimes to not take their work home with them, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Like, I couldn't leave it in the session. It would like, I'd be like, it would be coming with me and I'd be like, feeling all of these things for these people that I'm working with and like, wanting to like, help them in ways that are just not professionally feasible. <laughs> so it's like, there's all of this stuff. And then like, yeah, it ended up being too much for me. And I was like, yeah, no, I can't. <laughs> like, I'm holding on to so much. And like, maybe at another point in my life, I would be able to have the space for that. But right now, I feel like I've got so much crap in my own head. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The blind leading the blind, right? Well, but, you know, artist therapy too, right? It's therapy for the maker. It's therapy for the viewer, or it can be, right? And the idea that you decided to pivot a bit and, you know, and as you said, I mean, you know, maybe the future does involve more of an art therapy practice for you. But, you know, the reality is making the art you make, it is therapy for you and I believe therapy for the viewer. I know, you know, looking at your work made me a lot happier and made me laugh and made me think, uh, you know, and that's powerful stuff. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, that I think is where, like, I am driven to be right now is making artwork. So there was like a two-year hiatus where I didn't make anything and then, like, Basically, I exploded <laughs> like a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking of like the chrysalis, right? I mean, you were like the caterpillar that becomes the butterfly. You had to go into the cocoon for a while, a couple of years, right? And gestate and evolve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the Academy Project came out of nowhere, which was awesome. Tell me about the Academy Project. So I was contacted in April by the Academy to create six stained glass portraits for the John Waters Pope of Trash exhibition. So that was crazy. <laughs> well, John Waters, like, I mean, you know, that's like, you know, he's on the Mount Rushmore of artists, right? Like <laughs> he would have to be up there, I think. Yeah, like absolutely insane. I did a portrait in glass of John Waters back in 2015. And that's how they found me because I had already done a portrait of him in glass. And it was just it's basically just sitting like in my basement for like since two. Well, I've shown it different places. And obviously when I, I was showing a lot in galleries in Toronto, but it's basically been sitting in my basement. And then like, you know, you don't know like what your work that you do is going to end up doing for you later. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, like it, just out of nowhere, I got this like message and then I was like, basically lost my mind. I did like laps down my hallway for like 45 <laughs> minutes, just back and forth. <laughs> and I immediately had to sign an NDA so I couldn't even tell anyone. Ah, <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. Damn lawyers, they always ruin it, right? 
<laughs> yeah. So I'm like alone doing these laps because I was like so pumped about the project. Yeah. Love John Waters. is a huge influence in my own life growing up. So which is why I did the portrait of him way back when. Yeah. yeah so basically I worked like nonstop. <laughs> I knew that because six stained glass portraits, they're fairly big as well. And they're like kiln painted as, as well. So their faces, their skin textures and their hair is all painted with the kiln Mm -hmm. so it's like multiple layers of firing and each firing is like 10 to 12 hours i think divine's face alone well i painted divine's face four times but (laughs) 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 divine yeah i think just the one face was like 10 firings damn okay so can you even calculate how many hours you have in one of those pieces i mean i want to say yeah no i want to i did calculate it at one point i want to say they're probably about 200 hours each right right it was mid-april until like the very beginning of september i was doing 12 to 17 hour days yeah i mean if it's 200 hours per piece just basic math right it's like 40 if you were working a 40 hour week which by the way you didn't and don't but i mean at the end of the day that's five weeks per piece right like and and then what was the deadline but i started in may right i started (laughs) i started divine may 18th and i shipped out i finished all of them by august 6th and then you slept and then you went to bed right no no, then i painted the john waters portrait (laughs) (laughs) of course of course (laughs) Uh, which i had two weeks to do right 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 oh boy well i mean that's the thing about being in your calling right like you find that energy right you find that capacity it doesn't mean it's easy it doesn't mean that you're not cranky about it from time to time but it does uh, propel you right oh absolutely it was a full-on roller coaster <laughs> a full-on roller coaster of, of moments of like absolute joy there was one moment where my mom was like dancing with me in my studio my family was like the most supportive that I think they've ever been in anything like all of them with all of this like helping me like flip pieces like my mom made me dinner every night like my dad came and mowed my lawn like it was insane the amount of support that my family yeah I wouldn't have been able to do it without them and my sister basically took on all of the business and for everything a family affair full-on family affair (laughs) they just supported you and wrapped their arms around you and lifted you up and helped you get there what a gift what a you know what a what a lovely story there you hit on so many things like just the shipping of the pieces alone like That must have been, how far did you have to ship them? So Toronto to LA. Right, that's right. So I don't know exactly how far that is. Well, it's plenty far. It's very far. (laughs) Yeah. And then like tracking them, there was, oh, it was such a mess. (laughs) It was such a mess. They ended up showing up like a week late. Oh man, such a mess. Shipping. Shipping is a nightmare. (laughs) Shipping glass is even worse. Shipping art anytime is a pain, let alone internationally. You know, the guys at the border, right? They probably had to crack the crates and make sure that, you know, you weren't shipping, you know, contraband or whatever, you know, that was so stressful. So stressful. 
Well, I just oh, am so inspired by this. And well, you know, I want to go back, though, to your apprenticeship, because, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, there are these artisans, so many artisans, right, that, you know, those art forms, those crafts, you know, they're being lost, right? They used to be passed down, right? They're, you know, for centuries, right, in terms of being able to cultivate the next generation of artisans. And, you know, that mentor apprentice kind of model doesn't seem to be quite, you know, as prevalent these days as it used to be. Let's honor your mentor for a few minutes here and go back to your apprenticeship and exactly what that was like for you. Oh, my apprenticeship was amazing. My mentor taught me so much. Like her voice is in my head constantly when I'm working with lots of things. <laughs> very, very strong woman, like incredibly strong and like taught me in a way that really made sense to me. So she taught me how to cut glass. She taught me how to carry glass, like the basic safety, like all of those things. And then like my first real build like she showed me this piece that her like old assistant was working on and like it wasn't up to scratch like because she was <laughs> meticulous which is good because i'm meticulous so it yeah makes right right sense. <laughs> yeah meticulous like everything perfect and so she was like do you see this piece here and i was like yep and she's like it's crap. Take it apart and put it back together, but perfect. <laughs> I will be back in eight hours. <laughs> she left. <laughs> she just left. She left. So I took it apart. I like recut pieces that didn't fit. Like I rebuilt it and then I put it back together. And then when she got back, she taught me how to solder. Like it was, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was yeah, great. you call it meticulous. Some people might call it anal retentive. Both would be right. But it's that, and I'm kidding, but it's that <laughs> level of perfection, right? You have to aspire to that level of detail, you know, fit and finish, as they say, right? I mean, it is the gods and the doubles are in the details, right? And getting that level of precision, right? It's precision. Yeah, exactly. And if I'm not like, if I'm not in love with what I've done, if I'm not like absolutely proud of my work, then I feel bad when it leaves. You know, I need to be in love with my work. I need to know that I did my absolute best and I made it as perfect as I could. That doesn't mean perfect. Right. It means as perfect well, as I could. Well, but it's, you know, perfect because you're a storyteller, right? I mean, on some level. And so are you telling the story you want to tell? It's not necessarily about, oh, is the fit and finish perfect? And are there any visible flaws? No, that's not the point. But, you know, visible flaws might be part of the story, right? Like, you know, at the end of the day, right? So are you telling well, the story you want to tell? With my work, yes. When Did I was not. working for my mentor, no, <laughs> right. because that was architectural. Right. It was it was stuff like if you were making a panel that looks like this, if that's not perfect, right. you're going to notice. Right. Sure. Yeah. That. If it's not perfect, they will know. Right. It's, it's like you're going to know. Exposed. <laughs> There's no hiding with that, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, if it's not square and perfect and the glass is not all going in the same direction, like you're starting over. That's a redo. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and so your apprenticeship was for two years, did you say? 2011. I think that I stopped working. In 2000 and 
13? Right. Or 14? Wow, you... I can't remember. I think I worked there for three years. I tell you what, you're a fast study. I mean, the three years, I mean, like you learned a lot in three years. Like you must be like a sponge just soaking it in. I mean, it would feel like, you know, I'm a neophyte. What do I know? But it would feel like to get to from where as a beginner to a master, of course, you're still, you know, mastering your craft, right? But to learn, I don't know, it just, you know, I would have guessed that you were working with your mentor for years more, you know, sounds like you soaked it in fast. I feel like glasswork is the most natural thing that I've ever done. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Explain that. What does that mean? I feel like I took to it like I've been doing it my whole life. Ah, it was you found your thing. You found your calling. Yeah. Yeah. It just always made sense to me. Like, I can't explain it. It just, I think that within three months of working at the glass studio, I was building everything that the studio put out. Within six months, I was designing. Like... Within a year, I was doing everything. <laughs> like I was training the new person that she had hired. I was like doing all the inventory, <laughs> all of the product ordering, the, uh, the marketing, for jobs. the sales. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was doing marketing and sales. I was doing oh, everything. Okay. Else. All right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. It was like wow. the most natural thing I've ever, ever done. Way more natural than painting. That's so fascinating. Painting's hard. I mean, you know, <laughs> 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 said the stained glass maker and how many painters would just crack up uh, knowing how difficult and time consuming and, and delicate <laughs> your medium is that's fascinating yeah well i'm just you know listening to you like i'm just you know what a gift it is i know you just walk around with a spirit of gratitude because well a i can just sense from your energy that you just you know you're that person you're walking with with a spirit of humility and gratitude, but, and it is, you know, I've had moments of clarity, right? Maybe most of us have had those moments of clarity or that, those moments of call it Zen or you find your zone or whatever it is. And it truly is sort of a blissful, happy place of joy and fresh air, you know, but the fact that you were able to wrap your arms around it and stay there and build your life around your calling, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, how do you, I mean, I guess you honor that by making art, right? That's how you honor it. But I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to find my question because I want to ask, you know, I'm trying to get to the spiritual side of your work. And I guess maybe that's the question. I mean, how, what is your spiritual practice and how does your art practice inform your spirituality? Big question. My spiritual practice is, I think, just one of open acceptance. I don't know. I feel like I'm, as a human, I'm just want to be receptive to like, whatever the universe has for me at this point. And I really believe in like, vibrational resonance and the powers of like, symbols and belief. Mm -hmm. Yep. As well as like, practical and intuitive magic. <laughs> mm, yeah. So I feel like that's kind of where my spirituality comes in with my my work is that like especially with the painting practice, which is coming into more of like the glasswork as well now that I'm that I have a kiln. I didn't have a kiln before, but now I do. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like it's more about like a energetic sort of realization that like creating artwork and like being able to manifest thought 
into something that's like tangible and real is alchemy (laughs) and like I'm manifesting these things into reality so I can create my thoughts which is helping me I think a lot with like anxiety and depression and like what you focus on and being able to like project something onto a piece of artwork to let it go for instance yeah I feel like my art practice is actually everything in my life right now (laughs) between like the glass and the painting and the way that I've sort of like divided the tasks in both like there's moments of like complete loss of control in painting and in the glass work and then there's like absolute like obsessive meticulous control in both as well and it's both things sort of like are this like dance that I'm playing in my life in order to sort of like maintain balance and find harmony I think that my goal is that when people look at the artwork they can also see that balance I don't know finding calmness in absolute chaos (laughs) (laughs) right the calm in the eye of the storm and and whatnot yeah Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. We all love sitting around talking with artists and art lovers about the meaning of art, you know, and what have you, and philosophize and solve the world's problems. And, you know, but I've often argued that, you know, art is soul food and that artists are spiritual guides, you know, that artists are spiritual seers, you know. And, you know, simply put, artists are magicians, right? Because you literally are pulling rabbits out of hats you know it's like oh that didn't exist now it does (laughs) right and that power that power that artists have it must be daunting in many ways but also it's a compulsion right like you know it's got to come out right and being able to find spiritual happiness spiritual harmony you know through the doing through the practice of art making, you know, I, I don't know. For me, it's just a fascinating kind of thing to think about and talk about. And I don't know to what extent that bumps into the art therapy conversation. But for me, anyway, speaking selfishly, you know, it's art and artists to me are some of the most powerful examples of spirituality in our world. You know, and I mean, you know, you know, I guess everybody gets fed differently. You know, I lost my religion a long time ago, but I found my peace. Actually, I found my peace in nature and I found my peace, you know, in the arts. So for artists such as yourself, you know, who are making the art, I'm guessing it's act of communion even, right? With a higher sense of not just yourself, but with the universe. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how you feel about like psychedelics and stuff, but like I absolutely feel that way. Sometimes like... For the painting process, a lot of the times when I start, I'll do mushrooms and then just like sit with this painting while it's like, because I'm throwing paint, right? Like that's how the paintings start. And then you're just like sitting with it and watching it and like crying as these colors are like becoming this amazing thing. And like the amount that you manipulated is so minute. That like it's just a small movement, just a little bit, you know what I mean? Just like maintaining control of this like fluid sort of medium. You're not controlling anything. It's just the human sense of control. It's not really there. But like humans can't control mm-hmm. anything really. We just like to think we do. Yes. <laughs> um, <It's true. laughs> yeah. So it's the same sort of thing, like working with fluid mediums and trying to like sort of believe that you have any sort of control over it when you really don't. But 
the mushrooms make it this like sort of really beautiful thing and like every step of the process is this like incredible beautiful thing and then like suddenly you see the painting there and it's there like it was always there like something about doing mushrooms and the painting process for me is incredibly spiritual well you're sort of getting to this notion that the, you know the artist as a conduit right a vessel right so a channel right like a medium right like you're connecting you're just sort of like you've got one hand on the source so to speak and then the other hand is making the image that the source wants you to make you know yeah i mean i get that i mean i wish i could do it i'm jealous um <laughs> but but i'm you know in terms of you know it's interesting you mentioned the psychedelic influence because you know now of course right we're starting to embrace psychedelics as you know a legitimate modality for mental health issues. And of course, we knew this, you know, decades ago, but organizations like the CIA, you know, wanted to, of course, squash it and taint that. But thank goodness for all kinds of reasons that psychedelics now are being embraced, you know, as a legitimate way to deal with, you know, any number of things that people deal with, you know, from a mental health perspective. You know, the cliche, of course, you know, I guess back in college, you drop your first hit of LSD. It's like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to paint, I'm going to dance, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But, you know, but it's not, in my view, anyway, and it's a door opening. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I took this, therefore I can draw. It's like, no, I took this, therefore I can see. And now I can communicate. Yeah, I think it's just, it's about like, just opening. Like, it's just opening. Like, that's all. If I'm an open person already, the mushrooms are just going to like, allow you to like be receptive to more but it's not even receptive to what's out there it's receptive to what's in here like yeah, right. really getting quiet within yourself and like what is happening in here and here mm, like yeah what connection do i have to the colors on the canvas right now that are moving and what does it mean to me specifically yeah right. what does it mean out there but what does it mean in here mm. like i just really getting quiet and going really, like really deep within mm. yourself. And then mm. while you're in there watching the paint move and watching right. the canvas become something and pull from it from there. Do you meditate as well? I would say that most of my day is spent meditating because I'm making artwork. Of course. Great answer. Of course. Right. Yeah. Because you can't, well, right. Because I mean, I get that, right. Cause you're in the, to the extent meditation is about, Clearing your mind and being in the moment, being present, of course, you know, making your art is going to force you to focus and be in the moment and you can't think about anything else, right? Like you're literally thinking about the thing, you know? Yeah. 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 So I would say yes. Yes. It's yes. Not always well, good. Easy. I'll accept that answer. I. <laughs> well, the question was a little self-serving in part because... I, a couple of years ago, I finally got serious about meditation and I, you know, it's been so powerful just to clear my mind and allow me to be present. And, and of course it's an ongoing thing, you know, I definitely feel it the days I don't meditate, you know, for sure, but just to quiet the mind. And somebody said, you know, just, you know, the purpose of meditation is to shut your mind, you know, to shut the chatter, quiet the chatter. And because there's so much noise in the world these days. But when did you start incorporating psychedelics into your practice? Probably 2015. Not on a regular basis. 
It's not something that I do regularly, more so in the past, like, year than in the past 10. But I think that something like mushrooms is, they're very, very powerful medicine, but they also show up in your life when it's necessary. So it's not something I'm going to, like, continuously seek out. But if it starts popping into my head a lot, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'm getting a message. <laughs> maybe it's time to do <laughs> mushrooms again. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah, it's weird. I've been pondering, you know, trying to find an opportunity, you know, to do the heroic dose, you know. Well, anyway, this this show's not about me. It's about you. What am I talking about my psychedelic use for? But I'm a fan. It's fun. Because no, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best time ever. <laughs> I know. I know. It is interesting because when you're, you know, I'm 53 and, you know, in college coming up, whatever, you know, it was exciting and it was definitely life changing and open windows and doors that just wouldn't have been opened otherwise and ultimately put me on a path, you know, to bring us here together today, really. I mean, you know, on a certain level. But now at 53, to really do a hero's journey now, so to speak, like almost feels scary because I'm just like, oh my God, do I really want to, <laughs> do I really want to see what the universe is going to tell me? But anyway, I digress. Yes, I digress. always yes. Always yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right. So after we get off of this, I'm going to call my shaman. My local, <laughs> call my neighborhood shaman and, uh, and I'll report back. I can't wait to well, hear about your heroic dose. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Enough about me. Let's Make get sure back you to you. Make sure you have paint in front of you. All I'm saying is if you're going to end up doing a heroic dose make sure you have paint and a canvas in front of you it is the best time yeah yeah no you're right you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and environment you know kind of what you're getting at environment is so key right like because you know that's why i love you know if i'm going to do most of my mushroom experiences have been outdoors you know in nature and for me that's just the best place it's the you know but anyway i will report back i promise you know when when i have a better <laughs> when i have a better story for you i can't wait <laughs> yeah yeah good stuff well so the popa trash exhibition i believe closed in august yeah is it's not still hanging right no no it's up so it opened september it's uh, 17th and it closes in august so is that 2024. Free? Right, right, yeah. right. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I was getting my dates wrong. Okay. Well, that's great because I got to get my ass over there and I got to see you. I want to see you. And sadly, I couldn't get over there, obviously, before our talk today. But now, are you coming back to LA? What's When are you coming to LA next? I'm not sure, but I will be coming back. I don't know when yet, but I will be back. There's well, some, some big plans, cool. some big plans in the making. So... Okay, you're under NDA, so right, you can't tell. I'm sure you can't talk. No, I'm about not. <laughs> oh, you're not under NDA. All right, well, no, hey, no, no. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, some, tell some us what you project. want to tell us. Hey, give us a scoop. <laughs> give us a scoop right now. Come on. I'm going to be working with some really awesome people, putting on some, trying to do some public art exhibitions with stained glass. 
Um, working on some new portraits now, really important queer figures, historically and contemporary. So hoping to, to do a lot with that and show it in different places around the U.S. if possible. Yeah, right now I have sketches going for Marsha P. Oh, right on. Yeah, Marsha yeah. P. Johnson. Yeah. And then I have, oh gosh, it's going to be impossible, templates from past projects. This is Sylvia. Okay. Sylvia uh-huh. And Rustin. Wow. Hoping for a lot more. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so this, you know, I haven't even asked you about your process. I mean, clearly you're starting, you know, these new panels, uh, these new pieces, you know, you've got some tissue paper there that you're starting to sketch on. But take me through your process, if you can. I'd really like to better understand the various phases. Yeah, so the first phase would be this phase, which is what well, would be research. So I did a lot of research on, like, just getting inspired by, like, the things that folks have done in their lives and how amazing they are and, like, really putting intention into, like, the purpose but yeah, then sketching. I don't do anything digital because it's like about like texture and feel for me. Yeah, it's always been the same, like this tissue paper process. Then after that, it would be like coming up with like background designs. This is a small scale, obviously. It wouldn't, I can't yeah. work this small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, then I would be like cutting glass or I would put it on something like large scale, then I would cut glass and like put it on put it down this one I smashed a piece of glass so there's a I smashed it with a hammer here this one has been in the kiln like these pieces have been in the kiln three times so the next stage would be like I guess choosing glass like glass colors or like a color palette and like figuring out because if you're doing a portrait of a person and you're doing clothes let's say like when you're cutting glass or designing, glass has to come to an end. Like you can't have a line that comes in the middle of nowhere. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yep. Like you can't have triangles in the middle of things. Like right. I'm trying to find an impossible piece. Like if this were one piece of glass here, mm -hmm. this needs to have an end, this point. This needs to come mm -hmm. somewhere. I can't cut that. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. So it's, yeah, designing for glass is a thing. Then you would start cutting the glass. There's a lot of, right. So, right. So I'm starting to appreciate how much thought, right, goes into the planning, right, into the design. Yeah. Like how, you know, you're, and that gets back to the, you know, what were we saying? Sort of the fastidiousness, right, of the precision, right? Yeah. Yeah, the precision. Then you would start cutting glass. And then you're in the build process. So depending on if you're going with like lead, like a uh, lead came or you're doing copper foil, which is tighter, it would determine how you build the piece. So if it's leaded, you're building a piece from like, you're building a brick wall. So you would start here and like put your borders down and then like you'd be sliding them into place, sliding the pieces into place after. It's really difficult to explain actually. Right. Without right. showing it. 
<laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad for the tutorial. Sadly, I would probably be all thumbs and uh, end up breaking more glass than I would ever end up, uh, you know, making. But no, it's such a, a fascinating process. I mean, but you know, when people think about glass, you know, I think you know maybe these days, right? They they sort of think about blowing glass before they might think about stained glass. Do you ever blow glass? Is that something that you do as well? No, I don't have the furnace that you need for blowing glass. Okay, so the kiln that you have is a very specific kiln for stained glass. Not for stained, like you could probably use the kiln that I have for like pottery and stuff as well. But the type of furnace that you need for blowing glass is like a, it's got like a hole in it. Sounds really Mm -hmm. rude. It's called a glory hole. Like it's Mm -hmm. very rude, but... <laughs> yeah, it's like this. I mean, that's massive... relative. I mean, it's called a glory hole for a reason. I mean, it's, uh, not, yeah, called the, so... not called the pain and suffering hole. I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> yes, my kiln's like it's got like a yeah. There's no hole to put like the melted glass in. Like it's it's mm-hmm. a tiny little thing for specifically either like slumping or fusing glass. Or painting, mm-hmm. like doing traditional kiln painting. That's what my kiln is for. Like blown glass is a totally, totally different furnace. Got it. Got I just it. don't have got the. It. I don't have the facility for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, and you got to specialize, right? Like, I mean, you know, then I think that's the point. I mean, it's sort of like pick your lane, right? And you've got to focus, right? You got to specialize in something. You know, one of the things that I was curious about, you know, is how to what extent that you. Also, I don't know, build light boxes that your stained glass can live in, you know, as a backlight. So if you don't, you know, like if I wanted to get one of your pieces, but I don't, I can't hang it in my window, you know, do you sell your work also with light boxes that illuminate? Yeah, I build light boxes as well. Oh, all right. All right. I build them myself. So you're an electrician too. That's uh, yeah. So remember, remember, I remember how I said my family is my. So one of my dads is an electrician. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I, I, cool. Yeah. Home reno has always been like a huge thing in my family, so I know how to build things. It's very important that I be able to build things growing up. So yes, I build my own light boxes and I light them. <laughs> The more I talk to you, the more I realize, like, you are the perfect candidate for cloning. I mean, we absolutely need more of you in this world. <laughs> you know, because I'm all for cloning. You just got to clone the right people. You know, you, the, the, right the, the people, problem yeah. is <laughs> you don't want to clone. But, I, um, I've thought many times during that, during the John Waters project, I thought many times it'd be wonderful if there was a clone of me right now. Just one more <laughs> so I can go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> amazing 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 well so what did john say have to say about your contributions oh he loved them he was very grateful yeah he loved them very much when he saw the portrait of himself he said that i made him look infallible <laughs> ah. which is i think a great compliment from Mr. John Waters. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, did you have trepidation? I mean, you know, the old saying about, you know, don't meet your heroes, right? 
So in meeting him, was there any, like, how were you feeling? Were you nervous about meeting him that he might, you know, I don't know, be not live up to your expectation or something? I think I was more nervous of painting him because like, you don't want to, I was excited to meet him, but I heard that he was like the sweetest person ever from everybody that I'd spoken to that had met him before, like everybody. So that I I wasn't super nervous about more so that I want, I didn't want to like paint him in a way that like offended him or like made him upset or anything like that. I just wanted him to be happy with how I made him look. Because you always want, when you're doing a portrait of someone, you always want them to like be happy with it. You know? Yes. Yes. So that's, that's yeah. why so many people don't do portraits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> painting no. is hard. Like I said, glasswork is easy. Painting hard. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stick with the glass. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. You know, I feel like I could talk to you for days. I, you know, I want to get to Toronto. Now you've given me a new reason to get back to town. It's been far, far too long. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the work that you may or may, may or may not be doing right now in the VR space. Cause I know, you know, historically you've done, you've, you've worked in that space and in that medium. So, you know, what's going on right now for you in terms of AR and VR? Not a lot. <laughs> yeah. I got super into the VR space for a while. A lot of live shows with VR with my old painting partner. Um, mm-hmm. We had a live painting company. So that was a lot of fun. Um, it was just when VR had just like first come onto the scene as well. Like nobody was doing anything with VR yet because it was brand new. I was actually going to write my thesis on VR practice. Oh, interesting. <laughs> for the, yeah, right. For the art therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So all planned out. Just because it's like a totally not, it's totally novel space, right? Like painting in VR is yes. completely novel. There's nothing like it in the tangible universe, like painting in VR. Right. So the thesis is like, how does that impact mental health? If you have like a daily VR painting practice, like removing yourself completely from this reality, especially during COVID, because that was when I was planning on writing it. Right. I don't have a ton of, I mean, I do have some experience, you know, just, you know, with the goggles on and, you know, playing around or whatever. And it is, you know, at least in my limited experience, you're transported. I mean, you just forget where you are. You're in a whole nother reality, a whole nother space. And I don't know, it's a fascinating phenomena to kind of go in and out of that. You know, I don't know how to explain, you know, but it's... um we're just living in this really interesting time of, of you know, so-called digital revolution. I mean, digital seems to be swallowing us whole, right, on a certain level. And I have conflicted feelings about it, right? Because, of course, you know, like with anything, right, it's, there's good and bad things, right? So all the positive stuff is wonderful. But sometimes I feel like we're like the frog in the water getting cooked, you know, like slowly, you know, just like. You know, a friend of mine, she works in the kind of the market research space for big companies. And they had done some market research with Gen Alpha, which is like the kids in uh, high school, I guess, these days. You know, so we've gone past Gen Z. Now we're at Gen A. We're back to A, you know, Gen Alpha. And I guess the question in the research that my friend was telling me about, she said, you know, given a choice, would you rather live IRL in, in real life or plugged into a matrix? 
And the kids that participated in this nationwide youth market research study, they preferred, given a choice, they said they prefer to plug into a matrix rather than live in real life. You know, and it's just such a fascinating thing to think about, because I guess if I was 15, 16, 17 right now with the state of the climate and geopolitics, I might want to plug into a matrix, too. You know? Yeah, I get that. I listened to something the other day saying basically the same thing. It's like the youngest generation is coming into a world that's like falling apart. They're never going to be able to like afford a house. They're never going to be able to like... I don't know. The world could explode. The climate is awful. Everything's on fire. And you want them to do their homework. Right. Why? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like you want them to get a a part-time job somewhere. Like why? Why? Exactly. Why? What's the point? Right. And I mean, you know, youth always, you know, part of, you know, like as a young person, it's kind of part of your job, right? To point to the older generation and say, you know, what have you done? <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, you, you fucked it up and to be, you know, contrarian or, or whatever. But when I was 17 and was graduating high school, uh, you know, I was excited about the future. You know, I didn't, you know, sure there were always worries about wars and I heard about that thing called climate change, but You know, I didn't have to worry about active shooters in my school, for example. Right. And of course, you know, now Canadians are told not to come to the U.S. because it's too dangerous. You might get shot. And by the way, you might get shot. But, you know, when I went to school, I visited my old middle school not too long ago. I was back home and I some of my believe it or not, my some of my old teachers were still there. And I know some of the kids I grew up with are teachers there now. So I popped in to say hi. And I couldn't even get in the building. There were these two big steel doors that I had to go into, you know, to get buzzed in for security, right? Now, I grew up going to that school, walking in and out with impunity, no worries, right? So I just thought about the mental health. Like, what does that do? I mean, every day you're just trying to go to school and then you've got to get go through these big metal doors, you know, like, of course, they're nihilistic. Of course, they're, you know, they want to plug into a matrix, you know, it's existential for them in a way it wasn't for me, you know, but. Yeah. I never even thought about that. Like the mental toll that it would take just having to like have that level of security in your school. Cause I definitely didn't growing up. I actually lived like five minutes away from my elementary school. Not me yet. too. Were you a walker? <laughs> I was a walker. I was a walker. Yeah. Yes. Walker. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I restarted my life a couple of years ago and moved back onto the street that I grew up on. Oh, Um, how neat. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been amazingly healing just to be like, I don't know, starting over from the start, like the best thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, I guess you can't go home again, huh? Not exactly. Like, I'm, I went five doors down <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> not exactly home because my parents actually still live on the street too so not exactly right, home because right. that would be a lot but close but yeah like my brother had because we went to two different high schools i didn't go to the same high school as my brother he had metal detectors growing up and he was afraid to like ride his bike to school and i didn't and just the difference there, like he was stressed out going to school every day and I never was like there were no fights in my schools. There's no violence. Like 
I don't know why, like, I don't know. It was just a super, super safe school. But my brother, there was fights every day. Like, just the level of violence, I think, that you're used to, I think, at that point. Having metal detectors, it's like the expectation of violence, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, just to... (laughs) Because this is like a whole nother rabbit hole for us to like solve the world you know like just go down you need to come back i want to be respectful of your time this is well over an hour i love talking to you you're amazing we got started down this rabbit hole because of your work in ar vr and it's all fascinating stuff i'm just so glad given the digital revolution that you have decided to work with your hands I think, you know, the human-made, handmade object is going to be more special now than ever, you know, as we move forward. And the work you do, Amanda, is just gorgeous. Not just gorgeous, but provocative and fun and funny and just a joy. And it's a gift to us. So thank you so much for the work you're making and please keep it up. Thank you for your words. That's awesome. (laughs) I'm awful at accepting compliments. Thank you. <laughs> That's all you have to say. Thank you. That's it. That's it. You're done. You did it. You handled it perfectly. Thank you. <laughs> well, so I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to record a proper intro to this and bolt it on in post. But before we, you know, sign off and we'll, of course, have, you know, your website and your social and all that stuff on there. But before we go, is you get the last word. I mean, is there anything you want to say, anything you want to share, anything you want people to know about? I guess that there is no such thing as talent. (laughs) Just try really hard and believe in yourself. It's just putting yourself into what you do. That's the talent. Mm. Mm. Hard work. Hard work. Work, work, work. Practice, practice, practice. Right? Always. Every day. Always, every day. I love that. Always, every day. That's a good t-shirt. You need to get that made. Always, every day. (laughs) (laughs) Have the audacity. That's right. The audacity to put in the work. That's right. That's right. Well, Amanda, I'm going to let you go so that you can go back to work. I know you've got a lot going on. Thank you for coming through. Please come back. And please look us up when you come to the City of Angels, a.k.a. Hollyweird. And I'll do the same next time I'm in Toronto. I have dear friends that live in Guelph, so uh, sometimes I go see them. But anyway, you're the best. Thanks so much, Amanda. Have a beautiful day. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Peugeot and Desi Deloro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.